All right, well, we are continuing in our series from the book of Mark, and, and today we, we begin in the, the second, second chapter. chapter. We're in chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 12 today. If you want to look that up, you can. It'll be um, on the screen here uh, in, in a moment. But let me, begin, let me begin by asking a question, something for us to think about together. Has there, has there ever been something that you wanted so badly that you were willing to do anything to get it, to act a fool, to act crazy, to do anything to get it. Anybody have something in your mind? No? Okay. I'll show. I, I, I do. No? Yeah. Is there anything you ever wanted so bad you were willing to just be a nut to act crazy in order to get it. When I was about seven or eight years old, I wanted an Atari 2600 really badly. Anybody remember those? Some of y'all are too young for that, right? I, it was probably around 1980. I wanted that thing so badly. It's a, um, for you uninitiated, it's a video gaming system, right? Um, and I wanted that so badly, I was willing to like just make my parents' life miserable and just bug them every moment I could because I wanted this thing. And I did get it for Christmas. It was used, so we kind of compromised. But I got my Atari 2600 because I was willing to act fool in order to get it. And I loved, I loved that thing, right? It's kind of old school now, but, but back in that day, it was top notch. Good stuff. Um, well, what is it that you've ever wanted that you were willing to act crazy in order to get it. Well, our text today addresses this very thing. There are some people that want something so badly, they were willing to do anything in order to get it. So we'll turn to our text at this time. It's from Mark's gospel again, chapter two, verses one through 12. And it, and it says this, it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay." And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things? in your heart. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything 
like this. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word today. This time we can come under it together as a family of faith and pray that by your spirit you would press it deeply into our hearts this day. And Father God, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in your sight, that they would bring you joy and bring you glory, for indeed you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, in this passage, um, just to kind of quickly get to it, I, I think there's, there's a couple of main things, three main things that, that I think we want to highlight today that really um, are important for us about our own life of faith from this text we've looked at today. And, and they are these. We'll kind of unpack them in turn. The first thing we see in this passage is that there are barriers to getting to Jesus. The second thing is that these barriers are not insurmountable. And finally, when we do get to Jesus, when we do get to Jesus, it will surely be surprising. It will surely be very surprising. So, the first is that there are barriers to get to Jesus. Now, we see in the passage that there is a, a barrier for these, for these friends to get to Jesus what was the barrier? People, right. The crowds. The crowds were in the way. The place was full of people. And, and as, we, as we read this, it, it's, it's helpful to remember that Mark is writing these words. He's, uh, it's thought that Peter is sharing his story of his encounters with Jesus, with Mark, who's writing them down. And, and so, it says when Jesus went home to Capernaum, and it probably means when he, he went back to the home of, of Simon and Andrew or Peter and Andrew, those brothers, and that's where he was. We, we saw that a couple of weeks ago. He was doing a ministry of deliverance at the, the door of Simon's home, and so that's probably where he's gone back to. And so for, for Peter to be sharing these things, it would be very personal and very real. And, you know, he would have been an eyewitness of all of these things, and so he's telling it with a lot of detail uh, of what happened at the house where Jesus was teaching that day. The house was packed. You know, the doors were full of people. The windows had people sitting in them. The lawn was full of people. Just they were just covered up with people as Jesus, as Jesus was teaching. People wanted to hear Jesus. And then the story kind of um, picks up the pace at this point when we hear about these four men who brought their paralyzed friend to the house because they wanted to encounter Jesus and, and they carried their friend and they could not get into the house because it was so full of people um, because there was this hindrance. There was this blockage. There was this crowd in the way, right? And either they had heard about Jesus or their friend had heard about Jesus and had said, please take me to see him. Take me to Jesus. But Mark says they could not get near him because of the crowd. And I think the point is this, that here we find some genuine seekers, some people that really want to, to find Jesus, to be with Jesus, and they can't get to him because there's so many people in the way. 
Now, that crowd of people, um, I think it's instructive to sort of unpack who was in the crowd. And what we could say is that there were kind of three main groups of people in the crowd that day. There was the general crowd, just the general crowd. We've talked about them before. We'll talk about them more again all throughout Mark's gospel. The crowd was kind of a hindrance to Jesus' ministry. They were in the way. We read about last week, Jesus, um, Jesus healed the man with leprosy, and then he couldn't, the text says he couldn't even go into a town because he would be basically mobbed with people, with this general crowd of people that were just all along kind of interested. They were interested, but maybe just more curious about the wow factor, about what were these signs and wonders going to be. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next, but they didn't, they didn't necessarily believe on Jesus or trust on Jesus, but they were more of a hindrance to Jesus. And then within that crowd, there were religious leaders. Now, it's, 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 um, it's interesting that this is the first time in Mark's gospel that we see the religious leaders show up. Now, the religious leaders, what's their job? Well, it's sort of to keep the, the religious traditions rolling along smoothly, right? Kind of keep the, the gears oiled up, moving smoothly, no, no problems in the way. And then here comes Jesus. And he's got a new power and a new authority, and he's doing things different. He's just kind of mucking up the system, as it were. And just to put it sort of succinctly, the religious leaders were at odds with Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. He's messing up the system. And then finally, it's not mentioned directly in the text, but within this crowd that was filling up this home where Jesus was teaching were the disciples. Those that Jesus had called unto himself to follow him, to become fishers of men, they were there. And of course, they're learning to trust him and to believe on him and to follow him, but also in a way they're kind of in the way. We, we, we saw before, um, Peter tells Jesus, let's go back to Capernaum. Let's continue this deliverance ministry, right? We're almost like celebrities there. But Jesus says, no, my mission is to go from town to town to preach the gospel, that the kingdom of, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. We've got to go out beyond what's comfortable. We've got to to go out beyond what we know to complete this mission. And so in a way, the disciples are kind of an obstacle to getting to Jesus as well. So these three groups within the crowd, they, they are hindering people from getting to Jesus. I think even today we could probably say, you know, within churches, within Christianity, there's these, these groups probably remain and sometimes, if we're not careful, can be an obstacle to true seekers coming to Jesus. So that's the first thing we see is that there was an obstacle to getting to Jesus, a barrier to getting to Jesus. But the second thing we see today is that those barriers, they are not insurmountable. Amen? Right. There's a way you can get past them. Now, I want, you to, um, I want you to use your imagination for a minute. Join with me and think about if this scene that we just read about, if this were happening today, if this were happening here at Union Church, I don't know if we said, well, if Jesus were here teaching or maybe, maybe we said some, you know, some really famous, um, you know, Christian speaker or something were here teaching and preaching, and, and if you can imagine that all of, the, 
All of the pews were full of people. There was standing room only here in the sanctuary. If you can imagine, we had set up a bunch of chairs in Hallman, Doug Hallman Hall, right? We had set up a bunch of chairs there, and then it's full, and it's standing room only. And like the hallways and the courtyard and the offices and the classrooms, they're all packed full of people because so many people want to come and hear this person speak and teach. And if you can imagine, like even the parking lot was just full of people waiting outside, hoping they could get in to be a part of this special event. Okay, so are you with me? Imagining this? And, and then imagine as, we're, as we are all in here, packed in here, so many people, if you could imagine that we started to notice that like parts of the, the ceiling and the roof were starting to fall down like sawdust, wood, I don't know, those tile shingles are starting to fall down in the aisle right here. And just imagine, what would we do? I don't know if we would get like the, the guard in the parking lot, maybe send him up top to see what's going on or if we'd send some of the elders up there to check it out. What would we do if that were happening right in the middle of a standing room only service here? Well, in verse five, we see what G, how Jesus responded. So Jesus is teaching in this home. So it's a little different than being in the, the church standing room only, but it would be the same as we imagine. Like the house is full of people, every room, every closet, every hallway, every bathroom's got people in it. The lawn, the, the driveway, the street, full of people. And then they begin to see part of the, the roof falling in as, as these men make a, a hole in the roof. And, and what Jesus, how Jesus responds in verse 5 is he saw this and he saw their faith. He saw their faith in action. And curiously, this is the first time in the book of Mark where we see the word faith. He saw their faith. These folks on the roof, they were kind of crazy. They wanted something so badly that they were willing to do anything to get it, to act like crazy people, to make a hole in the roof to get their friend to Jesus because the house was so full of people. There were barriers to getting to Jesus. They were not insurmountable. Now, the paralyzed guy, his friends, I mean, if you think about it, his friends could have easily said to him something like this. They could have said, hey, brother, like, there's a lot of people already at the house today. Maybe we should just wait out here and perhaps later today Jesus will exit when this is over and we can talk to him then. Or maybe, you know, we'll come back another day. I'm sure there'll be another time we can find Jesus and bring you to him and he can minister to you. These would be, I mean, these would be entirely reasonable things for these friends to, to tell the, the paralytic. Yes, these are things we might say, right? It seems a little busy today. We'll come back. We'll come back later, right? But, but instead they say, no, no, it's very crowded today, but we are going to get you to Jesus, even if it means we have to climb on top of the house and make a hole and drop you down right in front of Jesus. We are going to get you to Jesus. And so they take a risk and they ruin a neighbor's roof. And Jesus says, this 
is faith. Now, there's kind of a cool illustration of faith that that C.S. Lewis wrote about, and he talked about faith being like this. He said it's like, it's like if you, or he describes himself walking into a garden shed, like a tool shed in the in the garden, and he goes in, and it's completely dark. There's no lights in there, so it goes from like the sunlight of a of a sunny afternoon and goes into this garden shed. And it's completely dark, and he's kind of stumbling around to 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 gain his to kind of gain his orientation in the dark. And as he's stumbling around, he sees this beam of light, just a small beam of light shining in from the roof, like, like it's like a, a tin roof or a lamina roof, and there's a, a little pinhole in it or a nail hole in it, and there's this shaft of light shining in. And, and as he stumbles around in the dark, he sees this light, and he kind of draws near to the light and looks, looks through the beam of light out the hole in the roof and sees the sun and the blue sky and the clouds and the green leaves of the trees. And and C.S. Lewis says, he says, faith is like that. Like you're stumbling around in the dark and then you draw near to this light and you can see. He says, that is faith. I guess another way to put that is to say like from the outside, from the perspective of the world, you look at Jesus, doesn't make sense. You look at Christianity, doesn't make sense. You look at the church, doesn't make sense. But when you take that step of faith and when you lean into that beam of light, as small as it might be, things begin to come into focus and they become clear and they make sense. And he says, that is faith. And I think... That's what these guys on the roof are doing. They've stepped into the light. They've seen clearly. They have faith and they're taking this big risk, this big leap of faith to bring their friend to Jesus, to draw near to him. They believed if they could just get close to Jesus, he could do something. It would make all the difference and and that was faith. And so Jesus sees their faith. He sees their willingness to risk everything, to bring their friend to him. And and that's how Mark illustrates faith for us. And it doesn't mean that you've got to leave your, your logic or your mind at the door, but it does mean that you may have to push past some obstacles and some barriers. Maybe you've got to act a fool even to get to Jesus, and that's faith. So we see the barriers to Jesus. Those barriers are not insurmountable. And finally, what we look at today is that our encounters with Jesus will always be surprising. They will always be surprising. So verse five again, I like this. Jesus says, or Mark says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now think about that. Y'all, put yourself, put yourself in the place of the paralytic. Have you come to Jesus this day? Have you come through the roof to have your sins forgiven? What do you think? No. (laughs) 
No, right? It's, a, like a, it's all about the paralyzed part is why you've come to Jesus, right? Not for the forgiveness of sins. You've come through the crowd. You've come through the roof. You've done this radical thing to overcome the, the barriers that day. And Jesus says your sins are forgiven. That is not what you have come for. I mean, I know that sounds very Christian, Christian-y for us to say, oh yes, I'm sure that's why he came. That's not what this, he came because he was paralyzed, right? And Jesus doesn't address that initially. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, right? Um, rather than meeting the man's obvious and felt needs, Jesus drills down much deeper into the heart of this man. And what I mean by that is it's like, it's like if you've, you're a parent and you've ever had, you know, with kids, sometimes you have to distinguish with your kids between what they may want, right? Like an Atari 2600, the things they may want and the things they need, right? Sometimes these are one and the same. Oftentimes these are different. What we want may not really be what we need. What we need may not really be what we want at that time, but sometimes we have to help our kids understand that. Sometimes in our own lives, we have to reconcile these things. But Jesus, Jesus is doing this with the, the paralytic, right? What he wants is for his, for his paralysis to be, to be healed. And Jesus is telling him what you need is for your sins to be forgiven. He's going much deeper. He's taking the man to a place he probably didn't even think he needed to go. So Jesus dives deep. He goes after the forgiveness of sins and gives the man what he really needs. And, and I, I've heard it said before. I, I think this is I think this is Tim Keller, but um, I can't say for certain. But I've heard it said that it's almost always true when we first start going to church. When when someone first begins to, to, to find, to, to meet Jesus, to find God, that, that almost always it's as a means to an end, right? I, I want God to do something for me. Heal, heal this in my life. Fix my marriage, right? Get my kids straightened out. Whatever it may be, you know, we come to God as a means to an end. But as we begin to mature in our faith, right? then we begin to come to Jesus for Jesus. And all these other things will happen. I think the paralytic man, perhaps we could say, he's coming, to, he's coming to Jesus as a means to an end, but Jesus is pushing him deeper to get Jesus and to get this ultimate healing, which is above all else. Now, as this goes on, the scribes are there. So like I mentioned, the religious leaders are there. This is the first time we encounter them in Mark's gospel. They are there. Um, they're not really liking what's going on here because they believe that only God can forgive sins. Here's this man saying he's forgiving sins. They don't believe he is God. And so they're not very happy with what is going on. But, but of course, we know that is the heart of the ministry of Jesus to forgive sins and to restore life and to, and to bring salvation. And so he's doing what he came to do. They're kind of saying, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. But that is what Jesus is all about. Now, um, with all of that in mind, 
their barriers to coming to Jesus. Those barriers are not insurmountable. When we come to Jesus, it will always be surprising for this man. He was coming for healing and Jesus begins to talk about forgiving his sins. It will always be surprising. Now, what do we do with this? How do we respond to this? Well, I think there's but two ways we can respond to this text. We can respond like the religious leaders. Hey, you can't do that, right? You can't do these things. This is, this is offending me. Or you can respond by bowing down and by worshiping him. I think those are the only responses we have as we encounter this text. Let me make one more note before we, before we finish up. I really, like this about, I really like this about the text. When Jesus says to the man, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins. Jesus makes this very personal with this man. He's not talking in a general way, right? Um, all sins will be forgiven sort of general, generally. But he says, son, your sins have been forgiven. And I wonder what may have gone on in this man's mind as Jesus talked about forgiving his sins in this very personal way. Because I imagine for most of us, there are things in our life, there sins, there's a sin nature about us that we wouldn't want to talk about publicly or wouldn't want anyone else to know or would bring us great shame if they were to be revealed to, to the world, right? But, and this man may have felt that same way, but Jesus comes and says, your sins, right? Even those sins, even those things you would never want to talk about in mixed company, even those things are forgiven, brother. You are forgiven. What a powerful thing that is. What a powerful moment, that realization that Jesus knows me and he knows my sin. And even as he knows my sin, he still accepts me. And he still loves me and he still forgives me. And y'all, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And y'all, that is the gospel, that Jesus knows us and he loves us so much that he would die in our place, that, that we are so bad that he had to die for us. But we are so loved that he delighted to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins, and not just in a, a general sense, but in a very personal way. He died for you and me to wipe away our sins. So, when you overcome the barriers to get to Jesus, your encounter with Him will always be surprising and it will always be wonderful. And even though, even if it may not seem to be exactly what you expected, just like the paralytic, wasn't exactly what he was looking for, but he got so much more and you will too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that we can come under it today and learn from it. Well, we, we pray, Lord, that that as we see obstacles to growing in our faith, that we would not be discouraged, that we would not be turned back, that we would not give up, but that we would believe 
just like those friends of the paralytic, that, that those obstacles are not insurmountable. And Father God, I just pray that you would give us a joy, a surprising joy as we encounter you time and time again. We thank you for loving us enough to, to, to heal us, but, but most especially to heal us in an eternal way, to heal us of our sin nature. We thank you for your grace, which is free, but we know which came at a cost. Thank you for loving us that deeply. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.